0: Welcome to Eternity Now. I'm Senior Pastor and Evangelist Kyle Huckins. We're a U.S.-based church and evangelism movement reaching every color and culture for Christ. Our podcasts, videos, doctrine, history, and much more are on our website www.eternitynow.com. E T E R N I T Y N O W dot C O M. This broadcast is made possible by your tax-deductible giving. A gift of $25 a month gets the gospel to $10,000 in a year. Just three cents a soul. Go to EternityNow.com and click support us for more. Thanks for listening. Now for one of my recent messages. The armor of God is a powerful metaphor for how the Lord equips us for battle with the devil and his minions. We're to keep moving forward in Christ and life in general, and the various pieces of armor remind us how to do this. This last hour in the church age before the tribulation has Satan coming after us, heaping false accusations on faithful Christians, trying to persuade them they aren't saved and can't be effective witnesses for God. We'll find out how to overcome that today in my message, Practical Spiritual Warfare, Silencing the Accuser, from Ephesians 6.14. This is the third in a series. I'm purposefully going very slowly through this passage on the armor of God so we can see the great truth behind the symbolism in these various pieces. In our first message, we discussed how every one of us is in a spiritual battle, whether or not we know it or want it. The second message focused on girding our waist with the truth, believing God rather than the lies of Satan and the world. And in this, our third message, we have another piece of armor. So let's go to Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now girding our waist with the truth refers to rolling up the robes as people wore back in ancient Roman days. That below the waist they would roll up and tuck into their belts. That way the robe would not get caught in their legs as they were trying to move fast or run. It made folks ready to move forward. Here, however, we find we need already to have on our breastplate of righteousness. Paul, the author of the letter to the Ephesians, was an extraordinary scholar of the Old Testament. As a respected Pharisee, he knew and believed the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. He often referred to them in his writings and preaching to show that Jesus fulfills the prophecies and the promises of the law and the prophets. And Christianity is a continuation of Judaism rather than a wholesale departure from it. Wherever Paul went, he generally attracted Jews first and Gentiles second, going first to the synagogue, if there were one in that town or area, and then to marketplaces, town squares, or wherever he could dialogue with them. This passage in Ephesians 6.14 and some of the other verses on God's armor draw on imagery of the Messiah and his millennial kingdom to begin at his second coming after the judging of the sheep and the goats. Let's now go to Isaiah 59 verses 15 to 20. This reads, The Lord saw, it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. What a powerful, powerful passage. This section of Isaiah is not talking about Jesus' earthly ministry. Here, the prophet talks of our Lord having the garments of vengeance. Well, when Christ began his teaching ministry, in Luke 4, it tells us that he read from Isaiah 61 about how he would set captives free. He stopped before the text from Isaiah said that he would proclaim God's day of vengeance. Isaiah 59, 16 says, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. This refers to how Jesus lived a sinless life that not only led to his resurrection, but the opportunity for all people to be saved, the firstborn of many brothers. This part of Isaiah 59 reminds us that when Christ comes to rule and reign on earth at the second coming, he will bring judgment. Those who have opposed him, brutalized his people, put their trust in Antichrist, will be repaid for their evil. Every work will be brought before him and weighed, and those not in Christ will be found wanting. The breastplate of righteousness of Isaiah 59 is part of Paul's Ephesians 6 armor. You might recall the Jewish high priest wore a breastplate as well. However, the Hebrew uses a different word for that than here in Isaiah. The original Hebrew and Greek, Old Testament, New Testament, both refer to a military garment. The Greek word Paul uses for breastplate in Ephesians 6.14 is quite revealing. It is thorax where we get our modern English word from. Properly, it is a coat of mail or very close linked armor, very thin, that protects the chest and extends down to the hips. Figuratively, it protects the heart where our faith and our morality come from. Jesus' righteousness came from his conception by the Holy Spirit. That made his spiritual nature perfect, sinless, the only human ever to be so. Everything he said and did was in alignment with God. Remember that from his earliest days, he said that he had to be about his father's business, per Luke 249. Scripture talks over two dozen times of Jesus praying to his Father. He was modeling for us the perfect unity of the Trinity, as well as how we should look when we're conformed to him. As Romans 8.29 says, we must be, and God helps arrange once we're saved. Jesus' righteousness came from his Father directly by the seed of God. Ours comes from faith in Christ, that seed now growing to maturity. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, the kind you don't want to wash your hands and dry them with. All of these different works that we have, if they're not done in Christ, are worthless before him. No matter how nice, how brave, how loving, or whatever else positive we are, outside of Jesus, we can't be righteous at all. When we believe on and follow Christ, however, his righteousness counts in place of ours. Paul in Romans 3, verses 21 and 22 says, The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Oh, what a great promise. Paul, as a Pharisee, knew that group thought by keeping the law of Moses, they would earn a place in heaven. (laughs) However, Christ says in his Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We find in Matthew 5, verse 20. Therefore, the Pharisees weren't doing it right. Why? Well, they added hedges to avoid breaking the law. They also might keep the law in letter, but not spirit. Do you recall that our brother Paul, that great apostle says that the letter kills, but the spirit saves. Now, when we're doing something that we're not meant to do, that we're not built to do, then we begin to get tired and crotchety and angry. We blame other people. This was what the Pharisees were like, and why they hated the Christians so very much. Now our Lord does say in John fourteen fifteen and elsewhere that if you love me, keep my commandments. we are to try to do as Jesus our Lord says, but as romans three twenty three confirms, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even in your pastor and evangelist right here, I still have to repent of my sins. I have to forgive others. I have difficult things to do because God is always trying to bring us higher and closer to him. That's the upward call of Jesus Christ. My friend, we are saved by grace. We must never lose sight of the fact that the Lord has given us the gift of eternal life. We do not earn it. At the same time, we're to be confident that in Christ we are righteous, as Ephesians 6.14 says. We have that breastplate of righteousness. No one, I say no one, can go to heaven without Jesus' righteousness. His is the only one that exceeded that of the Pharisees and everybody else from back in the days when he walked the earth and for all time. But everyone who follows Christ has His righteousness, without exception. Have you messed up years ago? Have you messed up yesterday? Well, you still have his righteousness. God's not the Indian giver, as they used to say many years ago. He gives you salvation. He shall not take it back. But I have heard from many Christians of all different ages, both genders and various nationalities, that they feel unworthy of salvation. And they've done something that's made God write off their souls and their witness. That is absolutely, positively false. It comes from the devil. Jesus in John eight forty four says of Satan, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. The devil loves to hurl accusations at us, but he, not we, will be judged for this. According to Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11, that reads, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. The blood of the lamb washes white as snow. This is not like the Old Testament. It doesn't just cover sin. It washes away that sin once for all from its 100% absolute purity. The word of the testimony, we confess Jesus Christ. We say we belong to him and we walk by his spirit. And also not living our lives to the death that we will not renounce Christ. Friend, don't be tempted to do it, even though they threaten you with all kinds of evil. My friend, my God is able to put you in the secret place when they torture you, when they hurt you, when they shoot you. Oh, the Lord God Jehovah is greater than any devil in hell that could come to go against his anointed. Satan has his flaws, of course, but he's not stupid. First, he only spends a lot of time on people who are walking, talking, living witnesses for Christ. to next, those souls out of hell. Second, he knows that we serious followers of Jesus realize we're imperfect. We do sin. And the devil's reminding us of our imperfections can cause, as the Bible says, our hearts to condemn us, per 1 John 3.20. Yet that verse also continues, God is greater. Than our hearts, and knows all things. We must know that we are worthy of salvation by living in relationship with Christ Jesus due to the promise of God's own word. He is not a man that he should lie. He will keep what, we, what he has said. Listen here to Ephesians 2, verses 8-10. to 10. By grace you have been saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friend, our Lord is not keeping score on our sins and weaknesses. We go to heaven on a pass-fail system. Either we're with Jesus or we're not. We don't go by a grade, and we certainly don't go on a curve. When we walk in Christ, we need to constantly use the breastplate of righteousness. The devil and his demons will send condemning thoughts to our minds. You're still a sinner. You're not worthy of Jesus. He won't forgive you. He won't save you, as God truly said. The unsaved will oppose and accuse us. Who do you think you are? You're no better than us. You're deluded by religion that you can be saved by God. And then there's the worst kind of unsaved. Those who go to church will undermine us, often lying about us. You don't do this right. You don't do that right. Why do you say you should stay away from that? What you say isn't popular. You're judgmental. Haven't you ever heard, judge not, lest you be judged? Remember what Jesus himself says of the devil's church and God's true church in Revelation 3, verses 8 to 10. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, but have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. What is that hour of trial? It is the tribulation. The next major event in God's timetable is the rapture. He's going to take all of us who are saved all across this world to heaven with him. He's also going to resurrect all of the dead who are in him. And we're all going to meet in the air. And we're never going to be without each other in the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? Can you imagine an existence without any sin? Ha! In this world, we almost have nothing but sin anymore. The church is yet here. Oh, goodness, because after the rapture, the tribulation will come, and there will be great trial and testing upon the earth. Antichrist himself will rule and reign for the second half of it. And By the time he comes to the throne half of the population of the earth will be dead. That's 4 billion people today. Do you know how many people have died around the world, at least uh, supposedly, by COVID, maybe an inflated number? Six million. So we are talking about something approaching 700 times that many people. Every other person, quite literally. The only way we will do the works of Christ is to walk by faith in him refusing to regard the false witnesses, and refusing to believe the evil spirits. When the devil says, oh, you're not righteous, we say, but Jesus is, and I'm with him. When the unsaved oppose us, we say, I know in whom I have believed, Jesus Christ, and he has changed me, and he will uphold me. And when the unsaved attending church, notice I do not say they are the church, that would say that they are true believers, but those attending services accuse us. We say, I live by faith in a Son of God, and I speak what he says. If you have a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. The devil often tries to get at us through feelings. Feelings can be very strong, also false and mistaken. Have you ever had your heart race like you're in danger, and it turns out you had nothing to fear? Or been sure you were doing great, but everything went haywire. We all have, haven't we? We must go with God's facts over our feelings. The scripture is fact. God has testified to it through the truth that we live. Also, archaeology has proven its people, places, and events hundreds of times. It has been attested to for every single race, every single culture that is on this world today. That is truth. That is fact, and we can count on it. When condemnation or queasiness comes on us, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. The best prayer is one based upon the scripture. We know that it is true. We also know it will not return void, but it will accomplish what the Lord has spoken it for, and so we can count on it to come to pass. For example, we can take 2 Timothy 1.7 and turn it into a prayer. Father God, I know I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. Let me walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We can go to Romans 8.1. Lord God, I know that there is no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, help my feelings to line up with the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Father God, cleanse and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Protect me from all evil. Let me walk in your truth. Your word is truth. That's Psalm 119, 160 and John 17, 17. And once we prayed, we thank God that he's heard us. And should the enemy keep coming, we just keep repeating our prayers at Thanksgiving. Romans 16.20 assures us the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. We must trust the Lord will deliver us. He made everything and everyone, and he will not be defeated. Six takeaways from our message today. Number one, our breastplate of righteousness is Jesus Christ. Our breastplate of righteousness is Jesus Christ. Christ. He lived a sinless life, and when we give our lives to him, God imputes or counts his righteousness to us. That's the only way we're going to get to heaven. Number two, we cannot be righteous in ourselves. Only by faith in the Lord can we be made righteous. We cannot be made righteous in ourselves. Only by faith in the Lord can we be made righteous. Salvation is by grace through faith In Jesus, per Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. Number three, the devil only takes time bothering those Christians who are dangerous to him. The devil only takes time bothering those Christians who are dangerous to him. If Satan can't get us to compromise, then he focuses on neutralizing us. So we focus on ourselves and can't do much for the Lord. Number four, we are pursued by demons the unsaved in the world, and the unsaved attending church. Should they accuse us? We point them to Jesus. I'm following him. Your problem is with Christ. We are pursued by demons, the unsaved in the world, and the unsaved attending church. Should they accuse us? We point them to Jesus. I'm following him. Your problem is with Christ. Just because someone goes to worship service doesn't mean they're in the true church. The devil attends and does his most effective work inside the congregation. You might think that the pandemic and the general general secularization of our society means that only the true believers are left in services. You're wrong. (laughs) I've been in many, many church services for the last number of years, and I can assure you the devil's been coming to church. I've seen him in different ways. Number five, when our feelings condemn us, we must go to God in prayer and pray his word. When our feelings condemn us, we must go to God in prayer and pray his word. Scripture is great to pray because we know it's true and must come to pass. For God in Isaiah fifty-five eleven, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Good verses to pray, you might want to write these down, are Second Timothy 1, 7, again, Second Timothy 1, 7, 1 John one nine, one 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9, Romans 8, 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Psalm 119, verse 160, Psalm 119, colon 160, and Romans 16, 20, Romans 16, colon 20. And number six, we must trust that God will deliver us. He made everything and everyone, and he will not be defeated. Nothing and nobody is more powerful than the Lord, and he loves nothing more greatly than his redeemed. A friend, I want to ask you today do you know Jesus Christ? He's the only way you can be righteous and go to heaven. As Zechariah 4 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Everything that we can see around us can be shaken and fall. But what we can't see, the Lord God of glory shall never be shaken and never fail. There are just four essentials to salvation in Christ. Number one, we need to repent of sin, asking God's forgiveness. Every last one of us, except for Jesus, has done something wrong. We've left out doing something good or we've actively done wrong. But God will forgive us because Jesus lived, suffered, and died and was resurrected for us. Also, we confess faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only Way to be saved. He is, by his own confession, in John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except by him. Thirdly, we believe that Christ rose bodily the third day from the tomb. He rose in both body and spirit because our body and spirit need to be resurrected. If his were not, ours will not be. But they will be because his was. (laughs) And also follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Oh, my friends, there's something called the idea of lordship salvation. That Jesus can be your Savior and not your Lord. Poppycock! No, he must be your Lord and Savior. You are to follow him. You are to believe him. You are to bow to him. He will forgive you when you come short of him we follow him. Now, we see soldiers follow their leader. Sometimes they trip and fall. Sometimes their horses rear up on them. But what do they do? Do they just lay there and let everybody pass them by or tread on them? No, of course not. They get that horse back into line. They get up and they get back in their place in ranks of the army. They keep moving forward per their leader. And we do the same thing. We repent, God forgives us, he gives us the power to get up, and the power to go on. And we are living epistles, read of all men. Friends, I want to lead you in a prayer now to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've been away from him for some time, if you feel that that you've grown distant from him, I want you to say it also as a rededication to the Lord. Plug back into that power source. The Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, we know from Philippians 1, verse 20. Let's go to our God in prayer. You can repeat after me what I'm saying. If you believe it, that you will be saved. And you will be able to walk out those steps of discipleship to get ever closer to the Lord. And eventually you'll step right into heaven. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, I repent of my sins. Please forgive me. I confess faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he rose. The third day in the tomb. In body and spirit. I will follow him. As Lord and Savior. Repenting should I fall. Commit to my heart. Lord God. That saved me. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so be it and it is. <laughs> Praise God. I the feeling that somebody or some folks prayed that just now. We're saved, be dedicated to the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. Turn to him now. It's going to be too late to be able to be delivered of the tribulation once the rapture has happened. And it's going to be too late to be saved altogether once the tribulation is over. But I'll tell you what's going to happen after the rapture. There's no church left. There's nobody encouraging you in Christ. People will be saved. There'll be a great multitude of every tribe and tongue. The scripture says every color and culture coming to the Lord. But it's going to be exponentially harder. Would a hundred times be enough? Probably not. Do it now. It's best. You can save yourself hell on earth and then the true hell forever. Now, once we're saved, we need to read the Bible. It's not because we're bookworms. It's because all the promises of God are yes and amen, and all of them are in the word of God. There's 7,500 of them. Get started today. There's more than 20 for every day in the year. It's incredible what God has given to us. Also, pray, believe God for his word And possess those promises in prayer. If you're alone, pray alone. But if you can get somebody else, pray in agreement. Because Jesus Christ himself said that wherever there are two or three gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. Also, come to church. Attend services online with us. Go in person. You have to be at a Bible-believing and practicing church. Some folks have great doctrine, but they don't have Jesus. It's just a form of godliness, and they deny the power. 2 Timothy 3.5 says of those in the last days and the deception. So come to church. You need to be part of a group. You need a covering of the Lord. You need folks who are always going to pray for you. We'll do that here at Eternity Now. We're going to pray in just a moment for needs. For those who are a part of our group, uh, we ask you to contact us with your prayer requests too. We'll give you the information in just a moment. And we have our services uh, Saturdays, 5 p.m. Mountain Time right here. And then also we're going to be restarting the Revelation Bible study, 7 p.m. Wednesdays, Mountain Time, with this Wednesday being our first back. You also need to fellowship with other believers. We've got to become a fighting force for the Lord. We've also got to lift each other up and bear each other's burdens, as Paul says. So, Spending time with each other is important. We can spend time at services, but also you could call me, you can text me. We're able to have a way to contact each other personally in this eternity now. And then finally, pursue personal relationship with God, asking him to reveal himself, believing his word, acting on his promises, obedient to him. And we'll know more and more that this is the God of glory who loves me individually. We at Eternity Now appreciate your listening to this program. For more, including links to all our broadcasts and social media, go to www.eternitynow.com, eternityno W.com. We have over a 100 videos on YouTube, and you can watch our services live there, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and more. On our website, you also can email me, Pastor Kyle Huckins, and I'll respond personally. I welcome your prayer requests, questions, and comments. Again, that's EternityNow.com. May God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, and give you peace.